Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live, 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Thanks for joining us on this Monday. Coming up today, a look at uh, some headlines that are out there. Also interesting, a historical note, and uh, continue to look at this uh, really great book about uh, how to handle your money the best way. Today we're looking at credit. Sometimes that can be a problem and a trap. We'll take a look at uh, how to maybe avoid some of those traps. So that and more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG, online at kpcg.fm, live link at thetrumpet.com as well. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. Any emails that you have to send, send those to uh, comments at kpcg.fm. We're always happy to uh, receive some of those from you. Uh, we had a nice email the other day from a listener uh, that uh, said that we're actually helping uh, boost her immunity because uh, we make her laugh. Oh, good. And apparently that, that helps the immune system. Helping That's true, I guess. Seeing some tangible health benefits from that, hopefully. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, that's what, the, you know, laughter makes the heart merry, right? Or something like that. So it keeps you, uh, I guess it, it, it does, tr- well, they always say laughter is the best medicine, too. And uh, I have found that to be somewhat true. I don't know. I've never been in a real serious uh, situation. But sometimes if I'm not feeling the best, a little bit of humor kind of makes it feel better. Yeah, I wonder what that person's laughing about when we're talking about <laughs> nuclear destruction or like what's the funny part here? <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not even trying to joke and yeah, <laughs> but just don't take us seriously. <laughs> but uh, there are some uh, humorous parts that do come up in this show from time to time, and uh, anyway, we do appreciate uh, people listening. Uh, biggest uh, question, by the way, I'm Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon here today as well. Uh, the biggest uh, mystery of 2017: uh, what is a catch in NFL football? <laughs> Does anyone know what constitutes a catching a ball? Like I used to think that I knew pretty clearly. Like well, that guy caught it or he didn't. But they've they've got if if you if some of the listeners out there have watched football even you know a little bit lately, they keep trying to change the rules and they get a little more scientific about what constitutes certain things. And and just the simple act of catching a football now, you have to have like a PhD in astrophysics to figure out and you have to look at the video frame by frame and you need to call in the FBI to determine <laughs> if it was in fact an actual catch. It's crazy. Just I saw one yesterday where the guy caught the ball, took three steps, then had it knocked out for a fumble and they just decided to say it was an incomplete pass. He never caught it in the first place. How do you secure a ball and then you're running with it for several steps? And then as soon as it's knocked out, they can call it an incomplete pass. That just defies comprehension. I don't understand the term football move. He made a football move. He's running with the ball. That has to be a football move. It's crazy. Is it anything you do with the football, a football move? I mean, if he catches it and he like starts spinning it on his helmet, <laughs> I guess that's not a football move. But I don't, they just make it more complex. And I, Of course, the viewership's down, and people, I think, are losing a little bit of interest for a variety of reasons. But potentially one of them is just, you know, you just want the game to keep going. You have to look at every single thing. 
you know, and then even after they look at it, they still get it wrong half the time, yeah. or it's they don't know. I I I used to think replay was pretty good, and and it probably still has a part in the game, but now more and more I'm just like, just move on, yeah. just whatever you saw on the field, call it, and let's just move on to the next thing. Yeah, make it about the eye test because obviously people are just getting so technical with the rules now. One thing that really irritates me is if a ball carrier lunges toward the goal line and hits the ground and the ball comes out after the ball has already gone over, they'll call that a touchdown. Mm -hmm. But if someone who catches the ball then turns around and puts the ball over the goal line and then drops it as he's hitting the ground, it's not a catch anymore, even though he's making the same exact move with the football as a ball carrier was. Can you imagine being in the rules committee meeting like in the off season, trying to trying to deliberate this back and forth, and it doesn't do the network well. It doesn't do the league any good when you have the announcers say, "Well, that's ridiculous," and then they have their expert, who's usually a former official, also say, "Yeah, that was completely the wrong call." Mm-hmm. And then they just keep playing the game, and you feel like, "Well, what's the point?" I mean, if if everyone's in agreement that this is wrong, why do we keep the charade <laughs> going? So yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it's just I just think. Uh, Things that used to seem, and and I think actually, even though it's just football, it doesn't totally matter. It does sort of speak to just the mentality of things these days, where things that used to be very obvious, did you catch it? Did you not catch it? Are you a man or are you a woman? I mean, yeah, it's just so confusion. Like we can't decide on anything anymore. That should be pretty basic. I was thinking similarly to that as well. Just how this isn't just something that you see in a sporting contest. It's all the time. Some of the most basic logical facts of life are being flipped on their head and it is frustrating it is confusing uh it doesn't matter what realm you find it in it's always going to be irritating when what you've known for decades or even hundreds or thousands of years to be true all of a sudden isn't true because a few people decided to change the definition overnight there there's a this viewpoint right up in a, a, a national magazine that i was happen to notice it's talking about raising men. Oh, no way. I read that. That oh, made did me you? so mad. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same sort of thinking where up is down, down is up. And uh, it's one of the things is this author, it's a lady, says, uh, what the world needs now urgently is sweet boys and people <laughs> who grow them. Well, nobody wants a kid that's a brat, but she's she's talking about... It, well, I don't know what, what she's talking about, but she talks about a couple of situations here, and she says that um, she's comparing men being angry to women being angry. Now, anger in most cases is not good. Very rarely is it righteous indignation. It's usually bad. I don't care if you're a man, woman, boy, whatever you are. Uh, anger is not good. But she says it's the kind of anger, talking about these women's movements, it's the kind of anger that gives girls voices. Men's anger tries to shut down the voices of others. Today's angriest women galvanize. Today's angriest men murder. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's foolish to say the least. Anger is not good in most cases uh, from anybody. But now, and so anyway, she talks about how her boy, of course, is the example of how to be, and he didn't want, he was at a party and they were making balloon animals or whatever, and they tried to give him a sword, and he said, no, give me a heart. So, problem solved. Peace across the world now. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? See, that, that that kind of thinking is just ridiculous, where people are starting to now, they're going to judge good anger and bad anger. Mm-hmm. You know, how about the Word of God? How about looking at what the Bible says about anger and what you should do with anger? Well, let's think about what 
the angriest men and women actually do because even in this Me Too movement, some of the women have even acknowledged that if we ruin the careers of some innocent men for the good of our whole cause, that's totally fine. That's that's pretty destructive. That's that's getting close to if, uh, murder. If you're destroying someone's entire life, ruining their family, ruining their career, uh, that that's pretty close to ending someone's life, even literally. And that's leaving aside the fact that angry women do kill. It's not like no women ever commit murder because they're angry. I mean, it's just another completely false statement. Yeah, false. Just no, no look into any sort of truth on the matters and there's a part in there too where she's talking about how uh boys onesies like for little baby clothes have trucks and footballs on them or maybe they'll have a phrase tough like daddy and she's critical of that as if it's so bad to raise your boys to be tough and resilient and manly so that they can then be the protector and the provider in a home when they get older that boy who's making a heart out of the balloon that's that's not going to be a leader in society that's for sure do you think there'd be a market for shirts that said soft like my mom (laughs) for boys to wear (laughs) i mean it's just nonsense 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 uh here's one here's just uh, this one's a little bit humorous to uh lighten the mood um well i got my electric bill the other day it was higher than i expected so I'm not, I'm not sure why that's the case, but not not outrageously higher, but higher. This this lady from Pennsylvania, she got her electric bill. Uh, it was a little higher as well, uh, $284 billion. <laughs> that's the electric bill that she got. Pennsylvania utility customer got the shock of her life after checking on her monthly electric bill, <laughs> seeing that she owed $284 billion. <laughs> what, what is she powering? <laughs> I mean, come on. She obviously has an... an an organic or a very extensive Christmas display. She can't tell us that she's innocent here. Is she trying to send a rocket to the moon? Uh, she says, my eyes just about popped out of my head. 58-year-old lady said we had uh, put up our, our lights, and I wondered if we had put them up wrong. Well, yeah. Uh, I knew it. I was right. <laughs> yeah. Checked the account statement online and saw that uh, she was being uh, charged $284 uh, what was it, billion? Yeah, $284 billion, $460 million. Uh, by her electric provider. She was told that she had until November 2018 to pay the entire amount, so nothing to worry about. That's plenty of time. Her first payment for December was only $28,156. <laughs> After a call from uh, the lady's son to the electric company, they realized that it was actually $284 that she owed. They kind of messed up the decimal point there in some of the zeros. So this is an, actually an important lesson. Uh, my son's learning about decimal points and where to put them in math. <laughs> this is an important lesson for him. You know, what would you rather pay, $284 or $284 billion? That that Where that period goes makes a difference. Yeah, when I've taught math, math before, there have been students critical of things like that. Like, why do you have to have a decimal and it's like, why would you not want a decimal? It does make a pretty big difference. And it's uh, it's pretty funny that she got a bigger bill like that while she's decorating her house for Christmas. Maybe there's a lesson there as well. <laughs> Maybe so. I mean, sometimes people put up big displays, but that would be a lot. I was just thinking, like, I wonder if, I wonder what the, like, what you would actually have, how much, what would you actually have to power to have a legitimate bill like that? Like an entire country? <laughs> Almost, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an out, unbelievable bill. So, Several nuclear reactors, <laughs> at least. So, uh, yeah, if if your bill goes up a little bit, you know, that's never fun. But that one would be just outrageous. <laughs> Two hundred eighty-four, and they showed the picture of it too, like the screenshot. It was a lot of zeros. <laughs> and you're like, who's watching the accounting department at those places? 
you know, if if, uh, if uh, you, you think someone would, you know, hit that. You can see it, if it was a few bucks more, you wouldn't notice. But if it's a billion dollars, wouldn't that hit some sort of like, <laughs> wouldn't that ping some sort of warning system? Like, wait a minute, that won't, that, that's too big of a bill. Well, even that should make us a little bit suspicious about how these bills are tabulated for us. If you're able to send through a fake bill, that one obviously you could tell that it's wrong. But other times we don't all have the time to sit down and hyper-analyze it to make sure that it's accurate. A lot of times, people, some people are more in the habit of analyzing their bills, and a lot of times they're not right. They are a little bit off, but usually <laughs> not that much. <laughs> the uh, Thomas Fire out there in California, we were talking about that a few times, and that's now, it has officially become the biggest fire in California's history. It's burned through 273,400 acres in the Santa Barbara and Ventura counties. The fire was 70% contained as of Sunday, so it's still going a bit. I have a pretty extensive write-up here from the L.A. Times about the fire, and it talks a lot about just the people uh, and uh, the fact they've lost, well, you know, most everything they had physically. So it is interesting to look at because it, it, it does affect people. Uh, it says, two weeks after the Thomas fire, nearly everyone in Ventura has a story to tell. With more than 500 homes lost and 27,000 residents evacuated, no one is a stranger to this disaster. For the families who lost their homes, the slow accounting of their new lives has begun without the familiar landmarks. Uh, The town's not the same. Trajectories changed, uh, priorities upended, they uh, toggle between past and present, caught between old habits of reference and the world they now inhabit. And they talked about how when uh, the fire broke out, it wasn't right in their area, but it was near them. And, you know, so they heard it on the news and thought, oh, okay, well, you know, there's a fire and just kind of went on with life, not realizing it was going to burn into their area and, and burn their homes. And a lot of them regret that they didn't take it more seriously at the time, um, that they didn't get more out of their homes. You know, a lot of older people, they lost a lot of family, you know, pictures and things like that. And so one gentleman said that, you know, when you get older, time moves faster, but now he feels like it's slowed way down because, like, their home is gone the things that they had obtained are gone, and they're, I think they're in their 70s, and they're just trying to, you know, piece life back together, and it's its not as easy as just, you know, snapping your fingers. Right. That's an example of just how precarious life is, and I was thinking how that actually ties into the book that we're covering later, Solve Your Money Troubles, because in there, uh, Mr. Robert Morley writes how we're all just one loss of a job or one recession or one illness or one sort of personal accident away from... Uh, you know, basically becoming a beggar if we're not financially stable. I mean, what if we're one wildfire away from uh, totally being out on the street because of uh, poor financial decisions? You have to know that a lot of those people, uh, they certainly aren't all in a perfect position financially, and so you have to wonder how they all are going to cope with that. Yeah, in some cases they might have relatives, some cases where they can go live with a lot of cases, or in some cases, that they talked about people are sleeping in their vehicles mm. or maybe an RV. Uh, and they say now the clock is running. Most insurers cover two years of rent and give homeowners two years to replace their belongings. So, uh, you know, if they had the insurance that they needed, they probably have two years, which is nice. It gives you a cushion. But still, it takes time to figure out what you're going to do, build your home, you know, and, and life goes on. I mean, people have children. They have to go to school they don't have a house to come home to. So 
uh, and they have to, you know, uh, just do all the normal things you do, but but try to build this life back again. And is everyone able to take all that extra time off of work? I mean, it it might be at some point you would have to go back to work and not spend all your time uh, rebuilding. Right, and and even with uh, like it says, covering two years of rent. Well, how much rent? You know, I mean, it's expensive to rent. Mm. So you may not be in the the, the nicest neighborhood. I, I don't know. You know, it would depend on the individual situation. But they say with all the damage and the work that lies ahead, they anticipate a bottleneck of demolition and construction, uh, assuming there's no more fires. Um, they put together lists, say, you know, you got to call the assessor, stop at the bank, talk to the insurance adjuster, tally everything that they have lost. And, of course, those insurance adjusters are going to be um, busy. And so it's not like they're going to show up the day you need them to. They're probably checking out the house down the road. I mean, uh, all the different structures, 27 uh, let's see, 500 homes lost in, in Ventura area, 27,000 residents evacuated. So they have to deal with all that, probably different insurance companies, but still there's not <laughs> that many insurance companies. So they're having to deal with this massive uh, situation. Those are expensive homes. You know, they talked about how some people um, uh, put a lot of time and money and years into these homes. And they had them just how they liked them, and they had nice views and beautiful yards, and the whole thing's burned. It's gone. Yeah, th- this is one of those stories where – it would be really interesting to read about it 10 years from now to see where these people are now, you know, like in the in 10 years in the future, what they've done to try to rebuild because you know that people are going to be upended. Some, in some cases, uh, they might have to move across the country or they, they might end up in a totally different situation just because everything they had was destroyed. There's a lot of different possibilities there. Um, even Even just looking back like we did recently with that, that school shooting and, and where the people were after the fact. This is another situation where it's pretty pretty easy to see that uh, people could be haunted by something like this and realize that it's not a, really a safe world, even considering what the weather could do to us. Yeah, FEMA. There's there's a write up too about FEMA and how they're pretty much uh, they've been uh, busted after this year because of the rise in the natural disasters. You know, you have uh, all these different disasters, Houston, um, Puerto Rico, uh, even in Florida to some extent, uh, California with the fires. I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting in there. But, uh, you know, how how many places can you send people or how many places can you have disaster relief? And it's not just a matter of helping out while the news crew is there and handing out water bottles and things like that. We're talking years mm-hmm. of trying to get their lives going again. Really interesting comment, though, here at the end. It's something for all of us to think about. Uh, they write that there are lessons in all of this, they say, and they try to find them, the people that have gone through these fires. And they say this. This one individual says, we have to be open to accept the world as it is, not how we want it to be. And that's what they're facing. And I thought, well, that's a really interesting point because what is the world really like? I mean, we we want it to be a certain way uh, today, and we'll talk about this in a minute, where all the world leaders have their big speeches today. A lot of them do, like the Pope and the Queen and stuff. And they talk about how they want the world to be, but how is it? And are we willing to accept how the world is today? And how much worse is it going to get if it's already getting this bad to where you can't rely on a relief agency to help you? Uh, the The problems are intensifying so much that there's really no physical body that could bail us out of these situations uh you know what the lessons should be learned that that's a that is a a good thing to look at but shouldn't it really get back to are we doing something that is causing it 
beyond just climate change. Yeah, and there's not. I mean, if you look at the the total damage of these fires out in California, now it is the biggest one, and it has burned you know over two hundred thousand acres. I guess it is two hundred seventy three thousand, but you know that's not that much when you consider all of California or when you consider all of the United States. But still, these are you know how many how many of these can you sustain before there starts to be problems? And uh, man, you just think what if what if something gets out of control to where it spreads beyond just a a county or a town or how do you stop it whether it's a wildfire or a natural disaster or it's something you know m- mankind doing something to each other um it's we're we're a very we're a very integrated society where we all depend on the system working and so when you start to see maybe breakdown in the system that, that makes you a little nervous true and it is nice to have leaders talking about how they want the world to be but no one has the real solution no no physical leader out there of any nation or any uh, huge church of a billion plus members is going to be able to give a solution to these types of things. Uh, you can you can offer some poetic words, but no one is really looking to the source. No one's going back to the Bible. That, that would be uh, ridiculed today. Oh, yeah. Speeches today, uh, Queen Elizabeth II paid tribute to the victims of the Manchester terror attack and the Grenfell, Fla- Grenfell Tower fire in London during her annual uh, message today. She also comment, uh, commended rather the country's emergency services, which have endured a difficult year with a series of terror attacks in London. So Queen Elizabeth II, she didn't have a lot, I guess, of <laughs> positive to say other than you know, uh, thinking about you, those that were affected by these different disasters, you know. Uh, and then the the Pope has his uh, big speech today, and uh, he wants a two-state solution. He wants to pray for a two-state solution in the Middle East and uh, wants war to end in Syria, of course, and uh, wants people to look at the kids and so on and so forth. And those are nice words in some level, but... You know, it's the same. You could have read the same speech last year or the year before, the year before, the year before, the year before. And even in his speech, I guess he was talking about the winds of war blowing. Well, yeah, they're blowing. Are they blowing less now than they were a year ago or more? Well, you'd have to say more. I mean, probably depends on the region, but still overall. And uh, talking about two state solution and all that. Well, is that the right thing, though? Is that the thing that should that we should hope for? Um, That's what he says. Yeah, these speeches are sorely lacking in the inspire element. What what should people listening to them go out and do? I mean, someone like Winston Churchill galvanized his entire nation, and you know what the Queen was saying came nowhere near that. Winston Churchill talked about facing it, the enemy and defeating it, being resilient in the face of challenges like that. Uh, and now we just have people, I guess, giving speeches because that's part of their job, but it's not stirring people to go out and make a change and do something that will actually prevent disasters like this from happening in the future. And then, like you said, the two-state two solution, I mean, what world is he living in? I mean, what? how are our leaders still thinking that is a possibility when it has failed repeatedly and you continually have one side that still wants to push Israel into the Mediterranean Sea? How can you possibly... Uh, reconcile those two sides that they can live right next to each other still just with more official borders and state names yeah it's a good point 
there is there were no solutions offered that I could see in the the Queen's speech. Um, we're gonna you know get rid of terrorism or get rid of these things. She didn't have any I guess solutions that I that I read anyway. Uh, and then, of course, the two-state solution idea, I guess that's being presented as a solution, but of course it's not a solution. It's the same tired thing that they've sort of tried. And really, you know, if people were going to be honest about it, it just means Israel just has to keep surrendering more and more and more for the hope that maybe the other side will kind of leave them alone. That's all that that's been. There, there hasn't, what, what have the Palestinians ever given to the peace process? Nothing. They've never given anything. And uh, so this idea that, that um, you know, we need to get both sides to the table. Israel's been at the table the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Palestinians have been putting bombs under the table. Well, how did the two-state solution work after the Korean War? Are, are we all happy that North Korea is what it is today because we did not achieve a total victory and push the communist uh, forces out of the northern part of the Korean Peninsula? No. I mean, the two-state solution isn't working. Those two sides to this day still hate each other. They're mortal enemies living side by side. And if decisive action had been taken, we could have avoided that whole situation. Here's another similar thing where the Palestinians are only where they are because the surrounding Arab nations have closed their borders and not allowed the Palestinians to live among them because it's a way to put pressure on Israel by having them live within Israel's borders. It's a huge conspiracy there among the Arab states. They're the ones who actually have the capacity to allow the Palestinians in without fundamentally changing their demographics, uh, you know, getting their own Jewish leaders voted out of office. That's what would happen in Israel if you just let the Palestinians uh, either become full voting members of the country or if you put them side by side. I mean, I don't even know how that would work. I can't even think of a logical way that there could be any success to that either. Yeah, you'd have to completely uh, dismantle the the leadership of uh, the Islamic nations. You know, the, the, the average uh, individual may not personally care, although they are pretty indoctrinated, but the leadership is obviously continuing to push their their hostility towards the the Jews and they're and they're raised in that culture too as has been documented many many times so if you're raised in some sort of culture like that then uh you know you're going to have that hatred just kind of built in there so uh yeah no no talk of nobody's talking about repenting or anything like that no. so <laughs> that would be quite the speech wouldn't it about talk about repentance <laughs> um make sure you stop and check out the trumpet.com today uh really great uh right up there from uh, Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry, Hidden Danger and Keeping Christmas. Also, it's a, it's a Key of David program, and we have the audio here today on uh, KPCG. And uh, it says, Family Time Together and the Life of Jesus Christ are both wonderful things, but does God want us to celebrate these things by keeping Christmas? That's a good question. And it's answered there at thetrumpet.com today. Related to that, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show with your host, Stephen Flurry, that's coming up here in just a bit, talks today somewhat about that topic and uh, the mystery of Babylon. What about Babylon and uh, what about Nimrod? Have you ever heard of Nimrod? What is he up to? What did he do? <laughs> and uh, how does that relate to what goes on today, uh, very commonly in the West in particular? That's uh, something to think about. Yeah, and the teaching about Nimrod is at the foundation of a lot of different nations and their religious beliefs. Um, it gets down to uh, a mother and her son. You see that in all types of religions, all types of cultures and nations all over the world. 
why is it that so many different groups of people who otherwise are extremely different get back to a mother and son type of doctrine in in their religion yeah very uh very interesting roots to all of those uh holidays that people take for granted so make sure you listen for that uh trumpet daily radio show coming up in a little bit here on kpcg as well Well, today is 25th of december and one of the things that's always interesting that happened on this day was in 1776 when George Washington crossed the Delaware and surprises and defeats 1,400 Hessians, uh, and they were uh, they were into their celebrations. And so uh, George Washington, he wasn't. <laughs> so he took uh, the troops across, and although it wasn't necessarily uh, a massive, massive uh, victory there, it did uh, get uh, a lot of uh, um, encouragement, give a lot of encouragement to uh, Washington and to his troops raised the spirits of the American colonialists. They had feared that the uh, Continental Army was incapable of victory, and this gave them some uh, hope that maybe they could win a few, and they did. Right, and it's it's interesting how historically that seems to be a way that you can exploit the vulnerability of the enemy. Barbarians did that to a lot of Christian areas. They would know when certain holidays were being observed and they would attack on that time when everyone was either reveling or they were in a church service and they were not necessarily vigilant about the threats of their enemies. Yeah. That's uh, always some interesting history there. He would be, uh, he would not, the press would not look favorably upon those actions today. (laughs) If he, if we were to do that now, (laughs) if someone were to use that against somebody, you hear that sometimes where there's a battle between uh, groups or whatever, and somebody uses, a group's belief against them, you know, whether it be a, a Islamic belief or something like you, you hear about that. Sometimes people get really upset about that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, trying to ignore the fact that there is this, this, uh, religious battle going on and there has been for years. Yeah. People are trying to downplay that, but cultures don't mix when, when they're that different. And, uh, even today, you know, you read some of the comments about, different speeches that these leaders are giving and that you always got a few in there saying, well, religion's the biggest cause of war and violence in the world. You know, they're the naysayer on this day, but, um, but that's true. It is true because if you look at it, what are the conflicts about typically? I mean, it's about land, it's about control, it's about all of that, but, but there's uh, also a, uh, uh, very big religious differences. And it's just further proof that only one religion can be right. That's why, that's why so many, religions are battling for supremacy it's very obvious that you can't have uh islam be correct if catholicism is also correct and these two different belief systems are diametrically opposed to each other or judaism as well you could throw in any of the far eastern religions they're all different from each other so they can't they can't all be right yet they all claim to be right Uh, that's naturally going to lead to uh, some clashes and yet today we think that any of the whatever it is 20,000 denominations of Christianity are all correct maybe just because they fall under the same umbrella it's the same thing though uh, just under Christianity they all have different beliefs how can you on the one hand believe in the rapture if you're this group or you believe in a resurrection if you're another group they're totally different things, and it makes no sense that they could all coexist or they could all be right at the same time. Yeah, if you even if you look at, say, when slavery in the U.S. was 
a, a hot button issue, you know, when President Lincoln was coming on the scene in Civil War time period there in the 1800s. And uh, there were people that kind of broke into different camps. Some were pro-slavery, some were against it. But uh, there were a lot of people that were upset about not just the slavery issue, but who was coming into the country at that time. And, you know, a lot of people didn't want the Catholics coming. You know, there's just different religious beliefs. Now, right. I think they were all considered, they'd all consider themselves Christian, Protestant, or whatever, but there was a pretty steep divide there. And so that that was part of that, too, because different political par- parties were forming, and uh, some of them were, you know, very much uh, against different groups. And it wasn't just, uh, you know, a racial thing. A lot of it was also uh, uh, religious beliefs. And so that's not, we're not that far removed from that. So there, there's always been a lot of infighting, even within whether it's Islam or whether it's quote-unquote Christianity, not everybody sees eye to eye. Very true, and it does seem to be a common trait of many people that if they believe their their beliefs are correct strongly enough, they're willing to enforce their beliefs on people who refuse to agree with them. Uh, that's the cause of a lot of violence, and even political discord in America today is the same way. We, we have different sides that are so convinced they're right that they have to then make the other side bend to their will obviously conflict always arises from that and if you don't understand god's timing in dealing with false beliefs uh people could easily just think that they have to enforce it themselves right now yeah yeah that's a that's a, always been a big debate among some groups or religious groups uh are, you know are they waiting for the return of christ or are they going to get involved in politics like that's always go on missionary trips sure. too, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure of the timing of those things. Uh, here, here's just a one little note. Uh, that's kind of interesting. If you, if you have children and you feel like they should make more money for you, uh, <laughs> you could take this guy as an example. There's this, uh, young fellow is, uh, he has a, a YouTube channel, Ryan toys review. You ever heard of this guy? No. He's a six year old. And uh, apparently he reviews toys, which makes sense because as a six-year-old, you'd, you'd be the prime market for that. <laughs> His YouTube channel made $11 million last year. Wow. Reviewing toys. So, wow, why didn't I think of that first? What what a life. What a life. That's That's the world we live in where you can make some good videos and you can get rich doing it. I mean, that's that's true in a lot of these fields now. If you are creative enough and you work hard enough at it, or even if you just don't have to work that hard to make a video, it's possible under a capitalistic system to get rich off of it. Does that break the child labor laws? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> that seems like there's a gray area there. Yeah. get Make another toy review. Get in there and do it. I don't care if you're tired. $11 million. That's unbelievable to me that you can make that kind of money doing something like that. Um, so I imagine his parents just, I don't know what they do with it, put it in a well, I don't know. I guess it's theirs. I'm sure they help out, put some of it in a trust fund or something. But that's just incredible that people mm-hmm. can make that kind of money. There's all kinds of like these bubble economic things that are happening. You know, I make videos on YouTube. Well, you made eleven million dollars. Now, he's the highest grossing, I think, channel on YouTube. So, not everybody's doing that. But some people make a living doing those things. You have the Bitcoin thing, which I I still don't understand to this day. But apparently, that's lost money, and then it gains money. You know, I saw a story about the, some guy, he was a young guy, and he in, he invested like $1,000 in Bitcoin when he was younger, and all of a sudden it blew up, and now he's like a millionaire. Right. And I saw a story about him on the news, and then the next day they said, like, Bitcoin lost a third of its value. So I'm like, well, I guess he's not a millionaire anymore. I mean, you know, we, we've gotten to this sort of weird age where 
a, a lot of things kind of flare up in the economy, but they're not. There's real no. There's no real value to it. I mean, not really. It's not like you made a product or you you grew food to sell. It's just <laughs> right. sort of this, you know, review of something online. But more power to them, I guess. Certainly not a, a necessity. My friend was trying to explain to me how Bitcoin works the other day, and he said at one point it was worth around twenty five hundred dollars per Bitcoin, but now it's like. It got up to like over eight thousand, then it went down to like six thousand, uh, similar to what you're saying, and it's just kind of hard to even visualize how how that all works. Um, and it's not necessarily something where, like you said, you're producing necessities or even even like the the typical luxury. It's just if you can get into the right field or you can find some sort of a a niche or a loophole. It, there is a lot of money to be made in certain fields. I've I've seen a lot of people start up YouTube channels, put a lot of work into it, and then to, uh, once they get more successful, you basically just produce a video a week for your loyal subscribers, and that's that's all it takes to become a millionaire on there. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, interesting how it works. Yeah, I um, uh, I think it would be really hard to have investments where they make a lot of money. I mean, on one hand, it'd be nice, but on the other hand. There'd be a lot of stress there because you'd always be watching it. Oh, like yeah. you would constantly be paying attention to like, is it up? Is it down? And then if it goes up, like when do you sell? Because eventually it goes down. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to sell too quick because you know and you'd have all this conflict going on. And uh, you know there are people that have been very successful Wall Street traders and then got out of it because of the stress was too much. And then what actually went on a lot of cases to do things that were more productive for them and and did well. And we're just so glad to have the peace of mind because it could be, um, I don't know, it'd be hard to relax for me anyway. It would feel like you have to be glued to the internet to be checking the value of the stocks at all times. And if they skyrocket, you better be on it in seconds to sell them at the right time before they go down again. So it would be pretty difficult. I saw the Papa John CEO Mm -hmm. who had criticized the NFL protests. Actually, he stepped down. uh, But a big reason why he was protesting it was simply that – People were buying less Papa John's because fewer people were watching the NFL commercials of the of Papa John's. They weren't watching the games. They weren't seeing the commercials. And he personally owned like more than half the shares of the company. And he had lost about eighty five million dollars mainly because of these NFL anthem protests. So you can you could definitely see uh, how much is at stake for people who own own stocks and they're at the mercy of how valuable those stocks are. Well, it was all worth it because now we all, we all know about equality. Right. Well, that's, but that's the thing about anybody, <laughs> anybody, that's, anybody that's protesting something like that is, um, you can do it, but you're, you're hurting the value of your product, which is football in this case. And eventually that comes around and you don't get paid either. And, and then is it worth it? Is it worth the price? You know, I, and, and for what? I mean, there is nothing. They're not. They're not really going after anything. I think it's all a lot of nonsense. But uh, eventually, when it hits the bottom line, I'd be real curious to see how many people are really, you know, standing for their principles or kneeling for them or whatever the case might be. Because <laughs> right. you're hurting your own product, and and uh, eventually that comes home to the players. Very true. And a lot of them are just behaving like petulant, whiny children and hurting plenty of people's businesses. There are a lot of NFL sponsors being. Uh, devastated by by those protests and it's just it's hard to even see what their purpose is uh one of the players union representatives was talking about 
some sort of issue that they were arguing about with the league. And he said, well, what does it matter if this gets put in effect in 10 years? I won't even be playing at that time. So I don't I don't care if this is worse for future players. It's fine for me right now. That might be the case with a lot of the protesters. They they might realize that they've already signed their big contracts. It will affect future generations of players, but not so much the ones who are doing it now before uh, the effects fully set in. Well, that's why you know it's such a big deal when a major athletic star leaves a community. Mm-hmm. And you know we're in that age now where they're all out for themselves and they don't care about anything else, money and championships and all that. But but if they did in some level care about a community or staying there, kind of being the face of the community, you know, because if they leave, uh, you take more than just yourself. You take the the attraction of coming to see that performer so it hurts the local restaurants it hurts the people that work at the stadiums you know it hurts it does hurt a lot of people so i think there is more to consider there not not to say that a person has to be held hostage for everybody else's job but you hear a lot of players kind of talk about well i had to do what was right for me well that's fine but you did also leave a trail behind you and you might understand why people are upset not just because they liked you as a player but because you you hurt the bottom line of a lot of companies. And apparently that was a situation uh, similar to what happened to Oklahoma City after Kevin Durant left. Like you said, a lot of businesses did close down. Uh, Like the Riverwalk area became a lot less popular because of Durant not being in the city anymore, people not showing up as much to go to the Thunder games. Um, That is very true. I mean, they do make hundreds of millions of dollars. And if you're going to repeatedly... uh, express your love for a place love is not hurting the entire place in, in in an economic way like that it's a lot to consider with all those all the you know it's again it's the economy is all kind of it's all dominoes <laughs> one thing goes and everything changes uh and we are talking about money uh, a fair bit uh here in the last few programs uh and because there's this great booklet at thetrumpet.com, Solve Your Money Troubles. Uh, for as wealthy as the U.S. is, there is a lot of money troubles in individual uh, situations and, of course, <laughs> the government in general. I don't think the government will read this book, but they should. It would be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Flee the credit trap. What would they do? Have to shut down everybody. Uh, that's a, that's what we're talking about today. Getting rid of the getting out of the credit trap, it can become a trap, uh, especially if uh, you get into a lot of debt. Much of the financial trouble plaguing families today, it's not the result of low wages. Uh, of course, more money is always nice, but it's not that there's not enough money to go around for a lot of jobs because people do earn pretty well, usually, if they have a decent job, but a lot of times people spend more than they make, and that's when you get into the credit issue. Like they say, it's keeping up with the Joneses, as they used to say. Whoever the Joneses are, they're always on top. <laughs> but uh, but having to, you know, well, I got to have a bigger house, bigger car, et cetera, et cetera. Um, people can get in uh more with you know more debt than what they can uh, afford to pay back the irony there is probably that the joneses have more debt than anyone they just are putting on such appearances that everyone else is trying to keep up while internally just being like a like a a rickety house they're they're about to collapse themselves but yeah he does mr morley does give some really interesting examples of just a couple of families that have nearly identical credit card debt but one family is making eight times as much money so that's that's how it's easy to see that it's not just a matter of being poor and not having the income to survive a fickle economy or whatever it may be it is it does get down to financial practices whether we're saving or whether we're 
indulging in luxuries we can't afford. Uh, you hear that a lot in the media and, and by politicians talking about how the poor are just victims of circumstance and there's literally nothing they can do to improve their situation. Therefore, they need the government to support them. There are ways to avoid situations like that or to dig out. But the problem is it does take sacrifice. Um, I've read articles where uh, reporters or or journalists are trying to justify uh, a poor person buying themselves the, the latest iPhone when they have all these other debts to pay off and they're getting government assistance uh, because they can't afford things like that. And then all of a sudden they're turning around and they're buying themselves an iPhone. They're, they're treating themselves to steak dinners. That's just, those are just not practices that we should be engaged in if we have a lot of debt to pay off. Yeah, the point's made here that overextending a normally adequate income for luxuries and personal indulgence is a leading cause of money problems. Sometimes it is an emergency, but but a lot of times uh, the credit card debt is, is not a matter of emergency. Uh, it's a, usually a matter of, you know, luxuries, indulgences. Or even if there is an emergency peppered in there somewhere, it's probably got a lot of other uh, things, uh, bills, that uh, don't need to be there. And so... Uh, we are in this society, of course, especially this time of year. You see it where it's immediate self gratification. You know, you have to you have to get something and get it now. And the advertisements keep coming, and they give you uh, usually today they'll give you um, say uh, you know an hour or two where they don't send emails, <laughs> <laughs> and then they then the floodgates will open. You know, with you know the the post holiday sales and come buy all the stuff you really wanted and this and that and the other. And 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 it is sort of a this uh, mentality that well you you have to get something I mean you have to have something always you always have to get something something new and something and in a lot of cases people get into situations where there's a lot of debt and you can read lots of stories about this and then they look around their house and it's stuff they don't use or need or want and uh, they really don't need it and that's I think sort of the the uh, uh, inspiration, if you will, for this uh, minimalist movement, which could be extreme in the other direction as well. You know, where you're living in a tiny hut and have one pan, but uh, but people are realizing that uh, a lot of things that they have uh, don't even need them. You know, they're not essential, and, and quite frankly, don't even enjoy it. You know, because it's like a kid in a toy with a toy. I mean, uh, if you've had this experience, you can relate. You know, if you have a couple of toys, you're probably going to enjoy them because it's what you got. But if you have a hundred toys, good luck. You're not going to enjoy any of them, and True. they're going to be all over. And you're not even going to play with half of them because it's just too much. And there won't be much gratitude there, especially on a holiday like Christmas, where nearly everyone's keeping it. The kids are going to go back to school and compare the gifts they got. And if someone else in a different family happened to get more gifts, well, then a lot of kids are going to be disappointed in that. And then oh, all of a sudden you spent all this money and your children are still not that thankful for what they actually got. I mean, every everything about the holiday is just blatantly about the getaway of life and uh, trying to, ke- again, keep up with the Joneses. It does put a lot of pressure on families to overspend to make sure that their kids are satisfied with what they got. Someone uh, yesterday who worked at Apple, one of the Apple stores was telling me of an experience where he was trying to sell this lady a 15 inch, I guess a 13 inch, uh, a MacBook, but the daughter wanted a 15 inch one. And so for about half an hour, they were arguing back and forth. And the daughter was saying how 
she hates her mom because the she wasn't getting the biggest one and yeah. it was like a $1500 difference in price between the two but never mind that because the mom had to get it or else the daughter was going to hate her i mean what else are you going to do besides put yourself in that difficult financial situation uh, to supposedly better your family situation a lot of people feel pressured into debt like that yeah and and they get to the point where as this booklet points out, people are convinced that they just can't do without the new thing. And in most cases, it, it has to be a credit card purchase to make it work. I uh, recently was, was in a, uh, a store, and a uh, furniture store actually. And it's interesting because very, it's very hard to find the actual price of anything. They'll tell you, you know, they'll tell you what the interest terms are or, you know, 24 months, no interest. Like that's the advertisement, but then you have to kind of thumb through the smaller print. Like, well, how, what does it cost? Though? Right. And uh, it's amazing how they keep extending those terms, and that's how they can keep the the prices low while while credits you know accessible. And if that changes, of course, there's problems there. But but I even saw an advertisement on television. I think again, it was for a furniture store, and they were selling furniture, and I think it was sixty months that you could you could put it on credit. 60 months you know for a couch or whatever i mean that's got to be some couch can i drive it to work i mean (laughs) (laughs) it's the same as a car payment yeah Uh, yeah. i mean it's amazing and and uh but that's how things keep getting extended and you know it's like the the story you know of the frog in the water where they keep turning the heat up on you don't realize you're getting cooked uh they keep extending terms and offering credit and people can have a pretty good life going for a while but eventually you're, you're drowning in that hot that hot cauldron of debt. And so really we have to stop and say, can I afford it? Do I need it? Even if I can't afford it, do I need it? Is it, a, is it important? Not to say you can't enjoy life a little bit. You should. But uh, the way that this society is going with the debt, you know, the numbers are astronomical. It can't continue. Very true. And, you know, another question to ask is do I have the cash for it? Uh, am I willing to save up for this before I buy it because the reason they advertise these items uh, by their interest rate and not by telling you the actual final price is because probably everyone almost goes in there and gets a monthly payment so they can get something that they didn't have the money for Uh, and all and if you do that with enough things you have so many monthly payments that are weighing you down Uh, so many items that you have in your house or or on your property that you don't actually even own, you're paying them off as you go, and that is a type of slavery to the lender. They're they're making you pay a lot more money for it long term because of those interest rates. Right, and then you're you're one one uh, layoff away from a lot of problems. And uh, you know, like that example you were bringing out about the daughter that wanted the one computer over the other. You know, what if the mom had said, "Well, that that's not a problem." Um, you go ahead and get a job and, you know, we'll save up for this and then we'll come back and buy it. You know, obviously she wouldn't have wanted that because she wanted it now. Right. Nobody wants to have to work for a year for it. You know, because if you really think about what you'd, how long you'd have to work, depending on your job or whatever, to save up to buy that item, boy, that's certainly a different way of looking at it. And then come back and buy it then. Would you be willing to put in the time in the coal mine (laughs) to get your computer? Probably not. That's such a powerful pull just to, try to get these items right away without actually uh, preparing for them. And um, even this booklet brings out, like, there is a time to borrow, but, I mean, it can't be for 
you know a, a laptop that is two inches bigger than than the one you could afford at that time uh, that's not that's not a smart thing to borrow for and even when you do borrow it's a matter of paying it off immediately not not being late on payments and having creditors call you to harass you about why you're late on another payment i mean it has to be something that you go into with a lot of preparation a lot of counsel and then after you've really taken the time to think about it maybe you get a loan maybe but it can't be just because your daughter pressured you to do so in the store yeah, something to remember here that this uh, booklet on uh, solving your money uh, troubles points out. It's good to remember the standard of living we have here in the West is already beyond the wildest dreams of most people on this earth today, even if you didn't get anything new recently. <laughs> if you realize the average person on this earth has, uh, you know, they just don't have what we have, you know. Uh, and so that's good to stop and realize that as well. There should be more gratitude for what we do have. And, uh, I mean, even, even certainly if you look throughout the course of history, but even if you look at, um, uh, just people living on this earth today, there's a lot of, a lot of squalor out there. And so we, we have it better than most everybody does. And, uh, as you pointed out, it's not, there are times maybe to borrow and, the, and this booklet points out some instances and some gives you some biblical passages you can look at to, to see that. But also then we have to remember that if we do borrow something, God expects us to pay it back all of it. Mm. And I think there's sort of this, I don't, I don't know how people feel, but it almost seems like there's sort of this thought that, well, if I can't pay it back, something will, you know, eh, it'll, it'll go away somehow, Mm -hmm. but that's not the biblical principle. If you borrowed it, you got to pay it back. Yeah. Because otherwise it's, it's robbery and it's lying. I mean, those are a couple different ways that you could be breaking commandments simply by not paying back what you agreed to pay back as as unfortunate as it might be sometimes when when we agree to borrow the the unspoken commitment on our part is that we are going to repay it in full otherwise it is a matter of stealing that's why you have people who their entire job is to repossess unpaid for items those things that we haven't paid for yet, we don't own them. And we, we, could, we could never go into a store, take an item without paying for it, and then just sneak out. You, it's the same thing with borrowing and then not paying back. If you're not paying off an item, someone could come to your house and take it back. That's just how it works. Yeah. They have a reality show about that, don't they? They go so. repos- Repo Man or something. <laughs> take people's stuff back. That's not a job you'd want because nobody's happy to see that guy. No. From what I understand, they're not very uh, kind about it when they when they do come back for those, those items. But uh, this is a really great chapter in this booklet about the credit trap and trying to flee it. And again, there's some really, there's some really inspiring stories too because, I mean, obviously people listening to this, um, you know, maybe you're in a great position. Maybe you're not. But, the point is, no matter where you fall in the spectrum of, of debt or not having debt, you can you can work to get out of it, and mm-hmm. that's the point. But yeah, but changes have to be made. That's the that's the issue. I mean, there's an example in there. I think of a couple owed what was it like almost fifty thousand dollars on right. a credit card, credit cards, and uh, t- t- took three years. Really changed their lifestyle, but they paid it off. You know, and so yeah, you have to make some sacrifices. And but even there, when we're talking about sacrifices, it's not like the impoverished nations where they don't have a choice. It's just delaying maybe some of those luxuries in a lot of cases. Exactly. They, 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 a couple of times they had rice with gravy for dinner. It's not like they were 
starving. They right. just cut out a lot of the luxuries, and once they finally paid it back, they were crying tears of joy, and it actually probably made their marriage a lot better to not have that extra stress burdening them all the time. That's that's the one thing to consider when when we're talking about paying it back. The more urgent we are, the more we make it a challenge, we make it fun. It can actually bring families together as they as they work toward that goal. We should start a new movement. You know, they have that pay it forward thing where you're supposed to be nice to people. How about pay it back? Pay it back. The pay it back movement where everybody gets out of debt. (laughs) That one wouldn't be as popular, I don't think. Uh, (laughs) I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather pull up in line at the the coffee shop and have them say, the person in front of you paid off your credit card. It's it's way easier. It's way more fun, isn't it? (laughs) I I appreciate that. Yeah, really, really thankful that you did that. Um, It's a great booklet, and it's free, and it's at thetrumpet.com. Solve your money troubles talking about... uh, the credit trap so really great booklet to check out and please do so at thetrumpet.com thanks for joining us today here on trumpet radio live for grant turgeon myself Dwight folk have a great rest of your day listen for the key david program trumpet daily radio show coming up we'll talk to you tomorrow you're listening to trumpet radio 101.3 kpcg